Good morning, everyone. It's nice to be back with you again. I think it was a couple of years since my last visit, but uh, always enjoy coming down. And uh, just sorry, my good friend Andy's not here this time, but um, we hope he's enjoying his sabbatical. We're looking, as you know, at Psalm 16 this morning, so if you'd like to turn it up, we're going to read it together. Uh, just before the service started, John said to me, do you want um, a net mic or a rostrum mic? And um, my thoughts went back a few years. I was preaching uh, in a church in Glasgow and uh, somebody came up to me just before the service and said, are you likely to wander? <laughs> I thought, this guy's heard me preach before. <laughs> but then I realised he was wanting to know if I was the sort of preacher that sort of marches up and down the platform or whether I'd just be behind the rostrum. Well, hopefully we're going to not wander this morning and stay focused, so let's read Psalm 16 together. We're told it's a psalm of David, a miktam of David. Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. I said to the Lord, You are my Lord. Apart from you I have no good thing. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you have assigned my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. You might want to keep your Bibles handy because we'll turn to another section that has a bearing on this psalm a little bit later on. I want this morning just very simply to look at this psalm in three ways. We want to ask, first of all, well, what was its immediate relevance to the one who wrote it, to David? What was the setting of the psalm? And I think that's a question we should always ask when we come to the Bible. Whatever section we're looking at, we need, first of all, to say, well, what did that mean for the people of that day? And then following on from that, and we'll do this thirdly, we'll ask, well, if that was a relevance for them in that day, what does it have to say to me today? But in between, I want too to think a little bit about what was its relevance to the Lord Jesus, because this psalm is one of what is called the Messianic psalm, psalms that pointed forward to the Lord Jesus. So let's think first of all about its immediate relevance to David. We notice first of all it's called a miktam. Now people who've uh, debated what that word means but it's a Hebrew word that seems to have got lost over the years and nobody is quite sure. 
so we won't speculate this morning, but one thing we do notice is that the Psalms that have that heading are always Psalms of David, and they always seem to be Psalms that David wrote when he was in some sort of danger or where there were threats to his life. If you look at Psalms 56 to 60, you'll find that each one of those is a psalm of David and it has the same heading, Mictam. There are indications as we read the psalm through, of course, that David is in danger and uh, he refers to this. And there are also indications at the time he wrote it that he was actually away from the promised land, his homeland. So I think we can be fairly sure he wrote this during the time that he was fleeing from King Saul when he was actually forced to leave his own land and take refuge down in the southern wilderness. Now normally at that time if you had a a case of injustice and you wanted to get a ruling on it, uh, you would actually go to the king. Of course the problem for David at this time was that his problem was the king himself. Saul it was that was hunting him down. And so here he is, he's away from his family, he's away from everything that is familiar to him, and he's down in this desert part of the uh, southern wilderness there. Who does he have to turn to apart from his God? And isn't it true for ourselves sometimes that we have so much that we depend on that make our lives sort of predictable and comfortable? And sometimes it's really only when something comes in that shakes out a bit for us that we really seek the face of God and so here is David then down there in the south and he has his refuge, his security in the hands of his omnipresent God who is not restricted by uh, national boundaries or geographical um, boundaries and he's left behind his inheritance in the land you see at that time, you remember when they came into the promised land, the the land was parceled up and it was allocated to the individual tribes and then broken down to the different um, clans and so on. And so they all had an allotted spot there in the land. But he'd been forced to leave this behind. I was thinking, we've been thinking one of our groups back at home that uh, Abraham, you remember, God called him to give up the comforts of life in Ur of the Chaldees, which was a very developed uh, civilization at that time. And instead, he more or less became a pilgrim. And he moved and traveled away to a land that was foreign to him, that he didn't know where it was even. But his confidence was in God. And I think as we read this psalm, we can see that although David has an inheritance back in the land, he's looking higher even than that. His security is in the Lord. Uh, There's a story told on one occasion of this wealthy landowner and uh, one of his friends had come to visit him and he started boasting about his property, his estate. He said, you see that way to the east, it's all mine. See that way to the west, it's all mine. See that way to the north, it's all mine. See that way to the south, it's all mine. And by this time his friend was getting a bit fed up And he said, what about up that way? Is that yours as well? And of course that shut him up. But there was a very important lesson there, wasn't there? This man had placed all his faith on what he owned, his property. He forgot the vertical. So focused on the horizontal, he forgot about God. The land, of course, 
for a Jew was very important. It was the land of promise for them. It's the land that God had given them to, rule, to live under his role there and under his laws. And actually for a Jew to move away from the land was really quite a serious thing. They moved to one of the neighbouring countries around, the neighbouring uh, pagan countries. They would be exposed to an alien culture uh, where other gods were worshipped, often where immorality was rife and immoral practices were associated with pagan worship. And so it was to lay yourself open to temptation, maybe to compromise your faith. be all too easy to go with the flow and just flirt with the idolatrous practices, maybe just try and get the best of both worlds, mixing them a bit with your own religion. And David was well aware from that. Actually, if we turn back to 1 Samuel, he writes about this period in his life and he says, They have now driven me from my share in the Lord's inheritance and have said, Go, serve other gods. And his response is, Now do not let my blood fall to the ground far from the presence of the Lord. See, David longs to be back in the land, not just because he has a parcel of land there but that belongs to him, but because that is where God is and that's where his people are. He refers to that in verse 3, the saints that are there in the land. During his enforced absence, they're never far from his thoughts. Let other people worship their pagan gods and ideologies, he says. They'll ultimately do so to their own destruction there in verse 4. But for David, he wants back. He wants back where God is and where his people are. I wonder if you, do you ever feel like that sometimes when you're away from home, maybe away from the situation where you normally are, how you react? We'll think a bit about that later on when we think about the relevance to us. And so David takes comfort from his relationship with God and draws strength from the fact that he's always with him. And we can't sort of develop it, but if you look at the different verses, you notice in verse 5 he talks about um, he's secure. In verse 8 he talks about the Lord being at his right hand. In verse 9 he talks about peace and joy despite the circumstances. You see, true joy doesn't just depend on the circumstances. If that were the case, when things are challenging we would lose any sense of joy and peace. But if we are at peace with God and know the peace of God in our lives, we can know that joy and that security and that sense of peace despite the circumstances. In fact, there in, um, in uh, verse uh, 7, is it? Yeah, he talks about even during the night sometimes. He says, I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. I wonder what happens when you wake up in the night. Do you sometimes have sleepless nights? I think sometimes the things that concern me, that uh, cause me to worry sometimes, uncertainties, they always seem worse during the night when you wake up. Do you find that? You lay and you're trying to get back to sleep and these things keep going around in your mind. In the morning they don't seem half so bad when you wake up. Well, I find sometimes during these sleepless nights, try and focus on the Lord and just have that sense of his presence and worship him and commit these things to him. And David knew what it was to be able to do that. And he lifts his thoughts heavenward. 
And then towards the end of the psalm, he says, even should the very worst happen, humanly speaking to him, say his life is forfeit, he still has that great confidence. He says, I know I will pass into the very presence of the Lord, that death is not the end. And then we get that wonderful uh, verse at the end there. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. David knew that this life was not the be-all and end-all. He knew there was a greater future beyond this life. And he lived his life in the, in the light of eternity. I wonder if we do that. But secondly, we want to think about this psalm uh, in its relevance to Christ because it's what we call a messianic psalm. And by a messianic psalm, we mean that one that is clearly identified in the New Testament as being prophetic or pointing forward to the Lord Jesus. In other words, when the Old Testament writers wrote these psalms, although they were prompted by their own circumstances, the Spirit, in God, the Spirit of God in that sense was inspiring them almost to speak of things they didn't fully understand. And they were things that were pointing forward to the Lord Jesus. That's why I'd like us now, let's read Acts 2, uh, some verses there that refer directly back to this psalm and we'll hear what Peter had to say about uh, this psalm when he preached at Pentecost. I'll just read them to you. Uh, verse 22 of chapter 2. Here's Peter preaching at Pentecost and he says to these people, amongst them people that had just crucified the Lord Jesus, he says, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over by you to, by, over to you by God's set purpose and not foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death. And here it is from our psalm, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also live in hope, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. And so he goes on to interpret Psalm 16 for them. He says, Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and he was buried and his tomb is here to this day, but he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he will place one of his descendants on his throne Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. So Peter very beautifully and lovely and interprets this psalm to us in its relevance to the Lord Jesus Christ. He draws the parallel between David's experience and what David was saying in Psalm 16 with the experience of the Lord Jesus and the, the heartbeat, the expressions of the Lord 
during his time here on earth and particularly when he went to the cross. David was a royal person. He had been singled out to be the successor to Saul and yet he was in exile. And we think of the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, coming from glory, from the comforts and safety of that environment into a hostile environment here in this world. He was rejected by the very ones that should have welcomed him. David really should have expected protection and friendship from Saul. He'd only ever sought to serve him well, to honour him, to fight battles for him, to defeat his enemies, and yet the very one that David might have expected to protect him was the one that turned against him. And John tells us in John 1, doesn't he, about the Lord Jesus. He came to his own but his own received him not. And if David was exposed or could have been exposed to temptations down there in a foreign land away from his own environment, we think about the Lord Jesus who was constantly tempted by the evil one during his time here in this world. I know we often focus to those 40 days, particularly at the beginning of his ministry, when in a very focused way the devil tried to deflect the Lord Jesus from his purpose. But we see through the life of the Lord how at different times the devil is motivating different ones to try and see the Lord deflected from his mission to be the saviour of the world. And of course the Lord, when he was here on earth, he found, did he not, his, his solace, his strength, his peace, his sense of purpose in knowing that he was doing the will of his Father. And we see many glimpses of this in the life of the Lord Jesus. How he would <clears throat> go away and have just nights of prayer, spending time alone with his father. Particularly in John, we think of John 17, that lovely prayer there. We catch the heartbeat of the Lord, that relationship with his father. And so with confidence he could go to the cross with these very words of David, that psalm, I'm sure it's a psalm that the Lord would either have sung or read or quoted many times during his life. He knew that even though it would mean him making the supreme sacrifice for sins, for you and for me, that he would not be abandoned, but he would be raised from the dead. He wouldn't be left. His body would not be left there in the tomb to decay. But he knew that he would be raised from death and exalted to the right hand of the Father. And so he had that certain hope, that sense of purpose, that he knew he was paying the price for our sins and he knew he would not be abandoned forever. Yes, in those moments on the cross there, in the darkness of the hell that he experienced there, that he was abandoned by his Father when he took the punishment for our sins. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But God had not abandoned him forever. God raised him from the dead and exalted him to his right hand, which is where he is today. This brings me to the third part, which is what is the relevance of this psalm to us today? Well, first of all, as we think about what the Lord did for us there on the cross, do we all today, sitting here in church, do we know that relationship with God as our Father that David knew? Do we have that sense that 
whatever the circumstances, and right now you might be going through some tough times like David, but you know that God is with you, God is your saviour, you have the witness of the Holy Spirit in your heart, that you are his son, you are his daughter, you know beyond all shadow of a doubt that you are secure in the Lord. Not because of anything you've done. We can't earn our salvation. The Lord Jesus Christ paid the penalty. If you've never done that, you could do that today. You could do that right now. You could, in the silence of your own heart, just in all sincerity, thank God for sending Jesus. Thank the Lord Jesus that he came. Thank him for dying for you, for the wrongs in your life, for the waywardness, the selfishness, going your own way. You can ask for his forgiveness and ask for his peace and ask for the indwelling of his Holy Spirit. And what about those of us who are committed uh, disciples today? What are the lessons for us to learn? Well, maybe the first question to ask is, how do we live in the society where God has placed us for you here uh, in Newcastle? Our society today is pretty godless, isn't it? At best, it's apathetic about Christianity. At worst, it's openly antagonistic. Do people see something different about us day by day? I don't mean do we look quirky, peculiar people in the way we dress or whatever, but do people, as they see us live our lives, do they see something different about us? Do they see something different about the way we treat others? Do they see that you know, we have a goal in life that is just beyond the, the immediate things that so often people are absorbed with? Paul talked about us being like uh, living letters that people can read. So as people read my life, and as people read your life, do they see Christ? Do they see something that would attract them to the Lord Jesus? And then secondly, are we allowing the debased values of the world around to insidiously creep into our minds and lives. So easy, isn't it? We're constantly bombarded by a godless world around us. And it's so easy just to begin to absorb these things. What sort of films do you watch? What sort of magazines do you read? What are you looking at on your computer in the quietness of your own room? What are we doing when we think no one else sees us? But God sees us. It's not a bad thing sometimes just to take stock and take check again. How is my life? Am I letting something slip? And then thirdly, what is the true source of our security in this life? When David had everything else stripped away from him and he was down there in the wilderness... He still had the most important thing in life, which was his relationship with the Lord. And he knew that nothing could happen to him outside the will of the Father. Do we know that today, right now, there are people around the world that are laying down their life for the cause of the gospel? I'm sure you do, that's why you've just taken a collection for the Barnabas Fund. We sometimes think that ours is normal Christianity in the West, but it's not. 
down through the history of the Christian church, there have always been persecution and martyrdom. I was at a conference just uh, three weeks or so ago in Rome. It was an international conference and there were 700 delegates there from 105 different countries, some of them from some of the tough parts of the world. It was moving, humbling, to hear the persecution that some of them were having to endure. In fact, while we were there, one brother got a phone call at 5 o'clock in the morning from Syria to say that one of his acquaintances there had been beheaded and his hands cut off. Now, this is reality. There are today, maybe right now, somebody is pointing the finger at a Christian and saying it's Islam and freedom or it's Christ and death. I sometimes think if somebody bursts through a door while we're together like this with a Kalashnikov and said, right, all those who don't want to follow Christ get out and the rest, which group will we be in? Well, I hope I will be in the group that stands up for Christ and I do believe that God gives us strength for the moment and that testing hasn't come to us yet. But the way things are going, maybe if God, if Christ doesn't come back before in the years to come in our country, could we end up having an Islamic state here? That's the declared intention of, of Islam, whether it would ever happen and God um, save us from that. But when everything is taken from us, would we still trust God? That is the, that's the critical thing, isn't it? Take away the things that we rely on, our home, our family, our job, our bank balance, whatever it might be, would we still trust God? I was going to ask that we might have uh, sung a song in Mission Phrase, but I, I understand you may, not, you may not know it. Some of you will know it. It's, uh, it's a Matt Red Redmond song. You know the one when the music fades and all is stripped away? Some of you are nodding. You know what it's about. Here's a musician. Um, accustomed to the um, focus of being in a, a well-known singing group and so on. But he says, when all stripped away, when the music is finished, when I go home, what sort of person am I then? And he says, I'm coming back to the heart of worship because it's all about you. We can all come to church. I go to church. You go to church. We can sing the songs. We can go through all the different emotions and activities, but when we go home, where's our heart? And that's the challenge, isn't it? Do we find our supreme satisfaction in the things of God rather than the transient values of this life? Do we miss the fellowship of Christians when we are, for whatever reason, taken away? Do we, like David, long to be back and back with them? I remember the only time when I was in hospital and I was in over a Sunday and um, all day on that Sunday I kept looking at my watch. I think, oh, 10 o'clock, they'd just be starting the worship service. You know, quarter to 11, Willie Morland would be up giving the notices now. And then I'd be, afternoon, you know, I was just frustrated. I was there in bed and I couldn't get out. And uh, Am I always like that? No, I have to say. But I trust most of the time I am. And I hope that when I start straying in my thoughts and maybe the attraction of being with God's people and in God's house begins to slip a bit, the Lord brings circumstances, people or words from the scripture to check me and bring me back. I think that thing needs tightening up a bit. Anyway, we're finished.
But these are the things that God has been challenging me about as I've looked at this psalm in preparation for today. I share them with you and I say this as I often do that this is not a preacher up the front saying to you I've got it all together and this is what you have to do. I share with you as a fellow pilgrim on the upward road and I'm still pressing on, still learning, still lots to know and often frustrated at how slow a learner I am. Let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you for these uh, lovely psalms that uh, your folks here will be looking at over these coming weeks. We thank you for the honesty of the psalmists as they will speak sometimes about their frustrations and their challenges and their difficulties. But we thank you too for the note of victory that always comes through that they are resting secure in you that whatever the circumstances they know that nothing can rob them of their faith, their salvation in you. And we thank you for this uh, psalm that we've looked at this morning. We ask it might be a comfort, a challenge to us. Thank you for what it meant to the Lord Jesus, this psalm, as he made his way to the cross to die for us. And as we think again about that sacrifice, what sacrifice is too great for us to make? So we uh, ask that you will bless us and challenge us as we go from this place with these scriptures in our minds. If we've never committed ourselves to the Lord Jesus, we come along regularly, we know the songs, but we deep down we know we've never really committed ourselves to the Lord and invited him, asked him to be our saviour. May we do that. And for those of us that are committed followers, Lord, thank you for your grace in our lives. Thank you for the times when we do start to stray a bit and you bring us back to your uh, pathway and uh, your grace and your forgiveness is such a wonderful thing. We thank you for that. We look forward to that day where, as David looked forward, when we will be with you in your presence with joys forevermore. Then, away from the body of sin, away from the things that would hold us back, we will then be able to serve you and worship you in ways that we, we can only do in part now. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your companionship. We ask this might be real in our lives as we go into this new week. We commend ourselves to you. In the Saviour's name, Amen.